That's a video of 2010 Vacation Bible School. Why would we play that today? Well, because many of the graduates who will be walking across this platform at the 11 o'clock hour uh, began their journey with Jesus in that Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School is not some small little program that we put on just to make up a time during the week where parents can get rid of their kids for a few hours. Vacation Bible School is a vital ministry of our church that we invest time, energy, resources, and people power so that the children who go through Vacation Bible School will hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Their lives will be changed for eternity. The trajectory of their destiny will be transformed by God's grace. We do Vacation Bible School because eternity hangs in the balance for many of these children, and this may be the only time that they get a chance to hear the good news of Jesus. We do Vacation Bible School because families matter. Families that are in this church, but also families that aren't in this church. And we believe Vacation Bible School helps us get a foot in the door in those families to help those families find faith in Christ. And those families are rescued by God's grace. Vacation Bible School is not some kiddie program that we try to do just so we can feel good about ourselves. This is a kingdom program that changes lives and builds and advances the gospel of God's grace and throughout the seven cities of Hampton Road. And so we need to be involved in Vacation Bible School. You need to be involved in Vacation Bible School. I need to be involved in Vacation Bible School, and the good news is I will be. And so, if you can't tell, I get excited. And please understand, please understand, uh, we have opportunities for you to invest time and energy so that children and their families can be rescued by God's grace. I met my wife at VBS. Uh, that is spectacular for you. I'm worried about her, but that's okay. <laughs> what are you doing on the ground floor? Usually you're up in the balcony. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Okay. But not at this hour. No, no. Okay. All right. So you just wanted to come down and get an early seat. Okay. Well, that's great. All right. Well, don't talk anymore during church. That's it. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking with you. You know I am. Some of y'all don't know, but that's the voice of God up in the balcony every now and then that you hear. Uh, well, the one thing that we pray about... Uh, this week and next week and the next. The one thing that we pray about at one o'clock for one minute is Vacation Bible School. And I need for you to pray, God, what would you have me do? How would you have me invest in Vacation Bible School? God, what do you want me to do? Not what do you want my neighbors to do, not what, it, what, what do you want people in my Sunday school class to do or life group to do. God, what do you want me to do in Vacation Bible School? There are needs that are still uh, open and available here at uh, our Kimsville location. We need four lead teachers in preschool, seven assistants. Uh, we need six lead teachers in children's area and 16 assistants. Uh, we need those positions so that we can open those classrooms to those children. The opportunity of these children is available. We just need you to be a part of that journey.
And we have special needs class and, and, uh, and, and one of the few churches that, that has an intentional approach to special needs children. We, we, we have great leaders in our special needs ministry. And, and Vacation Bible School is one of those key, uh, key times where families can bring their children uh, for a, a few hours a day and those children learn about Jesus. But special needs uh, class uh, needs more supervision. And you, you need to be a part of that. We can't open special needs classes uh, to meet the desire of the special needs families unless you step in the gap and lead. So this week, I'm going to ask you to pray. Lord, what would you have me to do? How would you have me invest in Vacation Bible School? The eternities of children are hanging in the balance. You say, well, I work during the day. Good. We've got Volvo. Vacation Bible School at our Volvo location is in the evening time, and we have needs there. We need uh, three lead teachers in preschool and five assistants in uh, preschool, and we need, uh, we've got all the lead teachers at Volvo, but we need five more assistants in our children's area. What will I do? Let's pray, and let's see God raise us up here at First Norfolk to invest in these. Uh, guys, it changes the church. Instead of sitting on the sidelines complaining about how the preacher's wearing a T-shirt, we're actually involved in advancing the kingdom of God and seeing lives changed for eternity. Let's invest. Let's be a part of it. All right? So that's what we pray about. We also memorize scripture this week. Uh, John 13, verse 34 and 35. Uh, this week, memorize that passage of scripture. Uh, this is the passage where Jesus gives us the new command to love one another, and he says that we ought to love one another the way he has loved us, and he also says that this is how people are going to know that you're a follower of Jesus, uh, not by what you believe or even by what you say or even where you go to church. They're going to know you're a follower of Jesus by your love for one another. It's a pretty big deal. So let's plant God's word in our hearts so that we might live for his honor and fame. All right? Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter. We're starting a new series today, and wouldn't you know, uh, when we planned this series um, uh, back in 2017, uh, uh, 2018, we're in 2019, back in 2018, when we planned this series, put it on the calendar, uh, put it on my little spreadsheet. I plan series of messages a year in advance, uh, or, you know, 10 to 18 months in advance, depending um, who would have thought that we would begin a series today at First Norfolk called Living Hope? But sure enough, that's what God had in store, and he knew full well uh, what uh, our church would need and what our community would need in this time. See, the grief and the pain, the sorrow, uh, the suffering, the fear, the hurt, the confusion that these last few days have brought to our community. Um, 
They, they create this deep yearning for answers. They create a drama of despair in the souls of people with whom you work or go to school or in your neighborhood. And it's to us and to our neighbors and to our community that God speaks through his word and tells us that there's hope. A friend of mine um, who lives in Louisiana now uh, was born and raised in Oklahoma, raised mostly in Oklahoma. And, and uh, living in Oklahoma, uh, he, uh, uh, he, he is full-on uh, Oklahoma. If you don't know Oklahomans, uh, they're full-on, you know, and they're, they're, they're unique. Uh, they're unique in their behavior. They're unique in their passions. Uh, and he is a full-on Oklahoma guy. Um, well, he was writing on social media a while back. He, he left Louisiana and went back to Oklahoma to visit family for a, a few days. And he wrote on social media that while he was there, he heard the familiar sound uh, that he grew up with. It was the sound of a siren ringing in the background. Now, the sound of a siren in Oklahoma means one thing, that a tornado has touched ground. Not, not that it might, not that it could, but a tornado has already touched ground. The siren begins to sound, and that siren calls out, you need to find a safe place. We didn't have a siren to sound here in Hampton Roads this weekend. There was no warning. There was no, uh, no advance Notice that terror and tragedy and senseless recklessness of violence was going to strike. But it did. And yet, in the face of sirens sounding or just carnage hitting, the reality is, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have hope. We have hope. And hope is not, uh, hope isn't what I do when I go fishing. See, when I go fishing, hope is, uh, I've got all my plans, I've done all my research, I understand fish, I understand how they work, I understand the season, I understand the barometric pressures, I understand uh, the, 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 the food that the fish are eating, which fish I'm trying to catch. I understand all those things, I've done all my research, and I will go to the body of water and I'll cast in my line with the best chance I have of catching a fish with all those variables, but can I tell you that there is no guarantee that the fish are going to bite. Sometimes the fish don't bite. No matter how much preparation I have, sometimes I'm just wishing a fish on the end of my line, and it never happens. Can I tell you, that is not biblical hope. Biblical hope is different than that. When we talk about a living hope, we're talking about biblical hope. Biblical hope is a certain expectation, a confident certainty that God is going to do what he has faithfully always done for his people. Biblical hope is confidence and certainty 
Just as certain as I know the sun is going to rise in the east tomorrow, that is biblical hope. Just as certain as I am that the sea is going to kiss the seashore, that's biblical hope. Just as certain as I know that the sun is going to set in the west, that is biblical hope. This is not wanting something to happen or wishing something to happen. This is the confidence that God will make it happen. Now, that is the hope that we live with. And so when you look at hope in Scripture, and as we unpack 1 Peter, which is uh, the the letter we're going to read over the next few weeks to to discover living hope for our everyday life, um, understand that when you hear about hope, you're hearing the promise of God for your everyday life. It's proven by certain things. So, so let's dig in here, 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, although verse 13 is kind of uh, the beginning of next week's passage. I, it, it also applies to this week's passage. So listen to God speak through the pen of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims. Underline pilgrims. It may be sojourners in your copy of Scripture or strangers. Uh, To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. To the elect, verse 2, the first word, elect, underline elect. To the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, Toward obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, for you who are kept by the power of God through faith toward salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved. Underline grieved there. That term grieved means that you have been written into a drama of despair. The narrative of your life now uh, takes on the theme of, of sorrow and hopelessness and grief and trouble and trial, okay? Um, uh, You have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ uh, who was in them was indicating when Uh, He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Verse 12. To them, the prophets, it was revealed that 
not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to examine. Verse 13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind or prepare your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter wants us to understand that we have hope. That hope for living comes through our living hope in Jesus. Hope for living. Hope for everyday life. Hope in the tragedies of life. Hope in the face of terror and trouble, trauma, tragedy, suffering, sorrow, tears. Hope, regardless of circumstance, hope in spite of the circumstance. He says we can have hope for everyday life. How? Through Jesus Christ, who is our living hope. Through Jesus who is alive and in his life and and through living in us, he gives us hope. Now, remember, hope isn't just wishing something's going to happen. Hope is the certainty, the confidence that God is going to do the marvelous things that God has always done for his people. So today, where can we find hope? I want us to dig down into a couple of different ideas as we look at this living hope. The living hope that comes to us, comes to us through Christ, God in his great abundant mercy has done marvelous things for those who belong to him. Now in verses 1 and 2, we hear Peter describe who we are as followers of Christ. I want you to catch this. Verse 1, he calls us pilgrims. Verse 2, he calls us the elect. And those two descriptors of every person who is a follower of Jesus gives us insight into the source of our hope, the elect, and the troubles that we face that threaten our hope, pilgrims. We're going to unpack these two ideas, but first let's look at the source of our living hope. How do we have hope? Why? How? What is that hope that we have as followers of Jesus? Well, as we look at this passage, let's discover the hope we have first because God has chosen me. God chooses us. We have hope not because we have somehow managed to navigate through difficult days on our own, but rather we have hope because the God of the universe, the king of the cosmos, looked through time and eternity and saw you and said, I want you to belong to me. There's something powerful about being picked. You remember what it's like not to be picked, perhaps, uh, you remember at recess, I don't know if they do recess anymore, but at recess, when I was growing up, you'd go and, and you'd, you'd have two captains, and if you're going to play dodgeball or, or capture the flag or 
uh, tag football or kickball or whatever, you had to have teams. And so you'd have two captains, and, and they would pick their teams. And, and, and you remember what joy it was to be picked in, in the first uh, few choices, right? So Bill and Susie, they're the captains of the team. Bill picks, I want to pick that person. And whoa, that's number one. And Susie says, well, I want to pick that person. Whoa, that's number two. And Bill says, well, I want to pick that person. And on and on it goes. And, 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 and you are so excited about being picked by Bill or, or Susie. Have you ever been the person that wasn't picked? That's happened to me before. Once, After that, I never went back to recess, but that one time, (laughs) I was new to the school, and they didn't know me, and so they they were looking for uh, somebody to play, but they didn't know my skill set. They had no idea that I had skills. (laughs) So they pick everybody, and here I am, the lone last person against the red brick wall. And finally, Susie takes pity on me and says, I'll pick him. Even then, I was relieved to get picked. You know the power of getting picked. We got graduates here from high school, and they're going to walk across this platform, and many of them have been looking for uh, their next journey in life. Some of them uh, have been looking at colleges to go to, and, and you remember what it was like for you or for your children or even your grandchildren to get that acceptance letter in the mail. They, they, you open it up and it says, I, we are delighted to inform you that if you pay us $120,000, you can come to our school. You think I'm joking. Have you looked at the prices lately? <sighs> but, but there is great delight in being picked. Those acceptance letters, finally, you, it doesn't matter if it's University of Timbuktu. You get one of those acceptance letters, you say, yes, I've got somewhere to go. There's something powerful about being picked. And friends, make no mistake. God has chosen you. When it says that we are the elect, it means that we have been chosen by God. God has chosen us. Not only has he chosen us, and that gives us hope, it gives us a foundation for hope, but he's also given us life. God has chosen us, and God has given us life. You look down in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. That's the picture of someone who once was dead and now alive, where sin has wrecked us and killed us and separated us from God. God, through his love, sent Jesus to die for our sin on a cross, to be raised from the dead so that he might give us life. Friends, we can have hope today regardless of our circumstances because God has given us life. He's given us a new beginning, a new life, a fresh start. The old has passed away. All things have become new. God has given us life. We're no longer dead in our trespasses, in our sin. But now we are alive in Christ Jesus. The resurrection power of God pulsing through uh, Palestine 2,000 years ago that called Jesus up 
from the dead. It's the same power that is pulsing through Hampton Roads today in the hearts of his people dwelling here at First Norfolk. You are alive, and the resurrection power of God himself is alive in you. That should give us hope. We have hope because God has chosen us, because God has given us life. We have hope because God has given us family. God has made us part of his family. Look, in verse 5, he said, verse 4, it says, To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What is this language of inheritance? It's a picture of family. God doesn't just say, okay, I pick you, make your own way. God doesn't just say, okay, I pick you and I give you life. Now, go make it on your own. No, God says, I pick you. I give you life. Now, come be part of my family. Come live in the abundant riches and wealth of my home. Come live under my care, finding all the sustenance and nourishment for your soul that you desperately need. Here is hope that I am part of God's family and I will enter into eternity already welcomed into the home of my living father. God has given us family. He's given us life. God has given us protection and care. You look at verse 5. It says, who are kept by the power of God through faith toward salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have been chosen by God. We've been given new life by God. We've been given a family that is eternal with an inheritance that doesn't fade away by God. And God wraps that up in love and says, now, hold on, I'm going to take care of you. Step by step, all the way to heaven. You are kept by the power of God. Now, as a dad, I, I want to care for my children. I guard them as best I can. They're getting older now, and things have gotten more complicated as they've gotten older, and me trying to fulfill my guardian responsibilities. I, I want to take care of them. I want to protect them from dangers. I want to stand between them and difficulty. I want to do all those things, but of course, I don't do it perfectly. I'm, I'm an imperfect father, and, and so it, it can translate as they get older into control. And they start thinking I'm trying to control their life. Daddy, just let me be. Oh, yeah. Not that they've ever said anything like that to me. I mean, I understand. It's hard to grow up, but I'm their dad, right? And it's my heart's desire to protect and guard them from here all the way to the grave. Being an imperfect dad, I don't do it perfectly, but can I tell you that our Father in heaven, who has chosen us and who has given us life and who has given us his family, he perfectly guards us. He, he perfectly takes care of us. Here's where hope is. Hope is not in what I've done, but in what God is doing for me. When we look at this passage and we see, we see 
the foundations of hope, we also see the, the trembling troubles that, that come our way. And, and, and that's from the idea of a pilgrim. You see, we have hope for living because Jesus is our living hope, but we also know that, that there are troubles and, and trials, sorrows and suffering. We're the elect of God, but we're also strangers in this land. It's being a stranger in this land. This is not our home that creates all kinds of trials and difficulties, sorrow. And some will ask, why did this happen in Virginia Beach? Why, why did this senselessness take place? And I'm not going to try to oversimplify it, but I am going to try to tell the truth about it. Friends, what happened in Virginia Beach happened because that's what this world does. That, that's what this world does. It's a place where sin, unchecked by God, runs rampant and does bad stuff. And we, as followers of Jesus, taste some of that carnage. In fact, because we're strangers in this land, because we don't have our home here on this earth, but rather in heaven, Jesus said we're going to face even more trials. Uh, Peter's getting to it when he says in verse 6, greatly rejoice in this, even though for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. He's saying trials are going to happen. Trials are going to happen because you don't belong here. When we moved, my family moved from uh, East Tennessee, the mountains, to Dallas, Texas. We made that move when I was in the fourth grade. And can I tell you, when I moved to Dallas, Texas, I realized very quickly that I did not belong. I did not speak the same language as those Texans. I didn't wear the same clothes as those Texans. I was a stranger in that land. How many of y'all have ever moved to a new job or a new town? You walk in your first day and you feel that sense of isolation. The newness is exciting at one level, but it's, it's a little ferocious at another level. As followers of Jesus Christ, that's our everyday life in this earth. We don't belong here. The problem, part of our problem comes as followers of Christ, is that we try to belong too much to this world. We spend all our energy and time trying to make sure that we have great stuff in a temporary home that's going to fade over time, and we don't spend nearly as much of our energies as we need to to make sure that we are ready for our eternal home. We'll get more to that next week. But being strangers here creates a drama of despair for us. It's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 16, verse 33, when he declared, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And Jesus said, as followers of his, we're going to have trouble in this world because we don't belong. This is uh, our temporary 
place. It's not our permanent residence. Now, the point that Peter is making is when our hope, when the hope of our heart rests in the strength of our own hands, then our courage will fade. Listen, when the hope of our heart rests in the strength of our own hands, our courage will fade. But when the hope of our heart is fixed on the God who has loved us so supremely, when the hope of our heart rests in the hands of the God who loves us, then our strength will never fail because God continues to do what he has always done, and that's take care of the ones who belong to him. We have a living hope because God has chosen us, because God has given us new life, because God has brought us into his family, and because God has committed himself to guard us continually. That's the hope we have. The question is, are we living in that hope? See, we got to turn it because verse 13 tells us that, that based upon everything that Peter talks about, we need to fix our hope on the grace that is to be uh, given to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, listen, there is a hope that you can have here and now. you got to fix your hope on the grace that God has delivered. And what is that grace? It is that God has chosen us. It's that God has given us new life. It's that God has brought us into his family. It's that God has promised to care for us and to guard us continually. So how do we immerse ourselves in hope? How do we live in the hope that's there? Three things. First, we need to praise God. Tomorrow, you, you're talking to your neighbors, you're talking to your friends, they're talking about how the terror has hit our community, or they're talking about how bad things are in, in our world, and you are thinking to yourself, and maybe even saying out loud, I understand all that, but I have hope. Why do you have hope? Because you began the day praising God. Praising God that he has chosen you that he has given you new life, that he has brought you into his family, that he has committed to guard you continually. You wake up and you praise God. That's what Peter did. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You want to have hope? You want to live in the hope that belongs to you because you belong to God? Then wake up at Every day in praise to God. Bless him. Praise him. It's easy to complain, but that gets you nowhere fast. You wake up in the morning with a commitment to praise God. 
for the grace that he has unleashed in your life, make no mistake, it's going to change the trajectory of your day. We bless, we praise God. Second thing, immerse ourselves in the living hope and we live in the hope that God has given us when we rejoice greatly. Rejoice greatly. Again, this is taking application directly from the text. The command, verse 3, bless, be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, in this, rejoice greatly. In this, rejoice greatly. We must rejoice in the God who has loved us so supremely that he sent Jesus to die for us. We fix our hope on Jesus when we rejoice that he has chosen me, when we rejoice that he has given me new life. I'm no longer dead in my sin. When we rejoice that I belong to him and and, and I'm part of his family when we rejoice that I know no matter what I'm facing, no matter the circumstances that come, no matter the terror that strikes, God is guarding me. We must rejoice greatly. Will you take the test for me? Just... Instead of waking up in the morning thinking about how bad your life is, will you wake up in the morning just for seven days and commit yourself, I'm going to begin today by praising God that he chose me, that he gave me new life, that he, uh, uh, that he brought me into his family, and I now live in the riches of his inheritance. And I'm going to praise him because I know he is guarding me continually. Will you, will you begin the morning praising God? Will you begin the morning rejoicing greatly that God has chosen you, that God has given you new life, that God has brought you into his family, that God is caring for you continually? See, when we begin to train our minds upon this grace that God has given us, Everything begins to change. We begin to live in the hope that is ours because of Jesus. Praise God. Rejoice greatly. The last thing I'd say, and it's more of an implication from the text, wherever you are, wherever you go, you need to share the hope that you have with others. Peter was writing to people that were scattered throughout Asia Minor. Bithynia. I don't even know where Bithynia is, but that's scattered. Cappadocia. All these places, Peter was saying, wherever you are, God has showered his grace upon you so that you can live in the hope. In a few verses, he's going to tell us that we need to give a reason to others the hope that we have. Our church is scattered throughout the seven cities of Hampton Roads, and everywhere you turn, there are people who are looking for hope. Will you share the hope you have with them? Will you let them know, I know it's a dark day, but I have hope, and you can too. Will you share hope with them? Who is it that you work with? Who's your neighbor, your coworker? 
your classmate, your family member. They need hope. And God has put you in their path to share with them the hope that you have. Share hope. In a few minutes, we're going to pray. I want to encourage you to pray specifically for two of our church family who are ministering on the front lines to families that have lost loved ones. Both of them are chaplains for the police department. One is uh, Don Hipple, and he comes to our 8 o'clock worship gathering. We gathered around him, and we prayed over him. Would you pray for Don Hipple this week? The other is Stan McMillan. Stan comes to our 11 o'clock worship gathering, and at 11 o'clock, we're going to gather around him. We're going to pray. Will you pray for Stan McMillan as well? Maybe you need to come to this altar and need to find hope again. Remind yourself of the grace of God poured out for you through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're struggling and you need somebody to pray for you. Ministers will be here. We love to pray over you and pray with you, pray for you. Maybe there's spiritual questions that you have that you long to be answered. We'd love to help you with that. Right now, would you just bow your heads with me? Oh, God in heaven, during this time, will you speak as only you can? You speak. Speak to the hearts that are heavy and give hope. Speak to those who are struggling and fearful, wrapped up in pain and anguish. Give them hope. Lord God, I pray that we might see that our hope for living comes from you. In these next few moments, may you draw us to yourself, draw us to your altar, draw us into your presence. And as we praise you and as we rejoice in you, May you immerse our hearts in hope. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.